0: 1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As Eric was mentioning, Insight 2018. I am told ticket sales so far have been robust, and that's good. Go to WTMJ.com, $25 apiece. It's March 28th at the Country Springs Hotel. We're going to have a lot of fun. I guarantee it. Um, also, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets sometime between now and 3 to Insight 2018. But don't let that stop you from going out and buying the tickets. If you win an extra pair, well, that's great. You can bring along two friends. So check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Let's get right to it. All right. Yesterday, there was a demonstration outside Paul Ryan's office in Racine. You have people protesting about uh, DACA, which is the Dreamers' Um, which is DREAMers. It's the whole idea, the executive order issued by Barack Obama a number of years ago, which um, a- allows people who are in this country illegally. The way it works is if you're a kid and you're in this country illegally, you get to, if you came in illegally as a kid, you get to stay as long as you do not create problems. President Trump indicated that, look, here, here's the deal. This this policy, in Trump's opinion and in my opinion, is illegal, not because it's necessarily a bad policy, but because, you know, if you want to change the law, change the law. But you can't have an executive, a president, just simply saying, all right, we're going to create what is essentially laws out of whole cloth. And what President Trump did is he said to Congress, look, I'm going to give you six months, figure this out and fix it. And Congress hasn't gotten around to doing that right now. And now the matter is in the courts. And in, in general, it's it's sort of a mess. It's tied up with the overall debate about immigration. So in any event, yesterday there was a demonstration, and you had number of political opportunists who decided, here, we're going to try to jump on this. You had some of the usual suspects, including the guy that's running against Paul Ryan, who will lose big time, who ended up getting arrested to try to make a point. Now, I don't understand what the point is about getting arrested but nevertheless they wanted to get their 15 minutes of fame they wanted to get on tv and that's all well and good here's what i think is interesting about the protest though there were a number of high school students who participated in this now yesterday was monday afternoon Um, school was in session journal sentinel reports students from Riverside, South Division, and Reagan High Schools in Milwaukee left classes and held rallies outside the schools before boarding buses for Racine and another rally near Republican Congressman Paul Ryan's office. Now, one of the interesting things you would think if you were a Journal Sentinel reporter is if you have a bunch of kids who walk out of school and hop on buses, would an interesting question be who provided those buses that they went there for? I mean, for example, if you had a bunch of kids that got on buses paid for by the NRA and decided to go to a political rally during school days, you would think that that would be a story. But they don't tell you who paid for the buses. I think, you know, we can pretty much infer that this was, again, some of these activist groups. Uh, The Racine Journal-Times reports that at this, this rally where a number of people were arrested, about 150 students, some with excuses from their parents, most without, walked out of Racine Horlick in protest for, for DACA. They were joined by roughly 200 other students from Milwaukee who also walked out of their classrooms. Racine Unified School Board member Michael Frontier, this is to the paper down there, said he does not condone students missing class, but he understood why many did. Hmm. Issues of justice are an important part of learning. Some of the best experiences I had in college were outside of the classroom. Well, I think many of us who went to college could probably say that some of our best experiences were outside the classroom, but I digress. The guy says, I support kids using their constitutional freedoms and learning about democracy and advocating for a better America. Um, you could also say, there you have grown ups who decide to use some of these kids as props for their political statements. But here is the issue. Approximately 200 kids walk out of MPS schools, 150 kids, walk out of Racine Horlick, 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. Should there be consequences to these kids for doing this? I mean to say if yesterday, well, yesterday wasn't necessarily the greatest day, but if I decided I wanted to, I don't know, walk out of high school because, Well, it was still about 35 degrees outside, and I wanted to go hit some golf balls, and so I just left. I think there might be some consequences there. Should these kids be punished? Should these be treated as unexcused absences? And should there be some form of discipline as a result of that? Or because we are protesting DACA? Do you give the kids a pass? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. To me, that this is simple. It's one thing if you decide that you want to engage in protests. That that's that's it. But there are consequences that come with this. And if you are going to walk out of school, I think there needs to be some consequence. Maybe it's an in-school suspension or whatever. I don't think that the kids. Get to decide, oh, we think this is a worthwhile cause, so we're going to walk out without there being consequences. 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's 1215. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Should there be consequences, or is this just the learning experience that comes with participating in the protest? We discuss next. It's 1215. 1217 Jeff Wagner Students at MPS walked out of classes yesterday got on buses went down to Racine to protest you know outside Paul Ryan's office now All I know is Voces de la Frontera, which was one of the groups, you know, leading or engaged in this protest. They were running buses down there, buses left uh, from South 5th Street in Milwaukee at 2 p.m. Don't know if those were the buses that the MPS kids got on, but they, they walked out of classes. That's the larger point. You had about 200 kids from these three high schools in Milwaukee who walked out. You had about 150 kids who walked out from Racine Horlick. Most were unauthorized walkouts do, do there need to be consequences? Four one four Let's talk to Carol and McGuanagall. Carol, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Carol.
1: Um, my uh, point of view on this is, you know, as a parent, if it were my child, and I had discussed this with them ahead of time, and they had a legitimate reason for wanting to do this, um, I would have written them out of school for an excused absence. Um, I think that's how, part of the reason of why they do it is that there's a lot of kids that they know that are, um, their families are being threatened with being deported. I think a lot of kids are very um, excited about the political process now. There's a lot that's happening. I think that's how they learn. It, what if the
0: parents? What if the kids didn't have an excused absence?
1: If the kids didn't have an excused absence, and that is a school by school decision uh, of how to deal with it. I mean, the only time I ever walked out of school was for a high school skip day, and, and when <laughs> way back in the day, and I came home and my dad was sitting on the front porch steps, and I just looking at his face. I came walking home and I go, I skipped school today, <laughs> and you know, and I was grounded for two weeks. And I knew that that was going to happen. There's consequences for for how you approach things
0: so for the and again i for about 150 kids my understanding is walked out of racine horlick some had excuses most did not would the school be within its rights to punish the kids i don't know in school detention something for walking out
1: i think punish is the wrong way of looking at it I think assembling those kids, bringing in the parents and having a discussion about why they felt it was okay to do that, what the proper way of doing this in the future should be and how to learn from this and grow from this, but not punish. Okay.
0: Now, Carol, see, I don't have any problem with punish. I think punish is the right word. I, I mean, I, I think there, there needs to be consequences, you know, for actions and it needs to be a proportional type of thing. Uh, and I understand what you're saying. Look, I, I was I was in high school as the Vietnam War was winding down. Okay, I, I mean, so I I I am a I, I understand you know the whole idea of protest movements and things like that, and, and that's all well and good. But there needs, in my opinion, to be consequences. You cannot allow, for example, high school kids to decide we're going to walk out for this particular type of thing. Now, I understand if mom or dad wants to write you an excuse. I don't know that I think that that's any different then than pulling you out of school to go to the dentist or something like that if mom and dad thinks it's appropriate. But I don't think it's something that a 15 or 16 or 17-year-old kid who is supposed to be in school, a decision that they get to make on their own. Let's talk to Steve in Pleasant Prairie. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Steve.
2: Um, my point is if, if we
3: really want to see if the school believes in consequences or not um, for the kids walking out, Or if they truly believe the students have a right to walk out of school to stand up for something that they believe in, then we should see if they would act or uh, respond the same way to 200 kids walking out going to a guns right rally. Right,
0: right. Getting uh, on a bus, right. Let me take it one step further. Getting on buses paid for by the nra (laughs) to to go out and, and to go out and to protest you know in favor of the second amendment outside of tammy baldwin's office or something like that under those circumstances you you know darn well that the schools would be there would this would be the front page story nra provides buses leads kids in walkout you know people would be screaming bloody murder
3: and all of those students would be suspended
0: um, yeah, no, th- thanks for the call. And again, I I, I, appreciate, like I say, I'm a child of the 70s. I appreciate, you know, protests and things of, of the like. And, I, I, and part of the me is also, it, it's the lawyer in me and a couple of people on our text line are making this point as well. All right, imagine what happens if you have a 16-year-old kid that engages in an unauthorized walkout and something ends up happening happening to them you know they they walk out of school presumably with the school's knowledge and blessing it's an unexcused walkout and then something happens they get hit by a car they get grabbed by some child abuse you you fill in the blank can you imagine where the liability issues are that 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 are out there let's talk to sandy in milwaukee sandy you're on wtmj
4: hi good morning hi sandy hi um, afternoon, actually. <laughs> That's um, okay. I just think that if these kids were so passionate about going, I think the teachers should turn this around and make this part of their assignments to write what their knowledge is of DACA, mm-hmm. what they got out of the uh, demonstration. And yeah, what did you,
0: What did, did you learn from you know skipping school?
4: Well, mm-hmm. yeah, and going to this.
0: Yeah. Skipping school to go to the
4: it because they were interested in what it stands for, or, and I really think that this this essay should be part of their grade.
0: Well, I guess, the, well, I mean, think, I mean, say, what what about the kids that that stayed in school and and didn't walk out? So, I mean, that that's why there needs to be some. Consequence. Now, I, I was watching some of the TV footage, and you can even kind of see this in the newspapers' pictures about this. You know, you've you got – look, I, I'm sure some of the kids were politically active. Some were just, hey, this is a great chance to get out of school, and it's going to be more fun than, you know, attending school. What about the kids that decided to stay and, and were where they were supposed to be? I mean, I, I think that's why there needs to be some consequence. Now, look, I, I also think everything needs to be in proportion. I am not here saying – oh, they should be expelled from school or not allowed to participate in graduation. I don't think it rises to that level. But maybe an in-school suspension, maybe an assignment to do what Sandy's talking about. I mean, write some essay about, you know, what you, you saw. But there has to be some, some consequence to this type of behavior. And by the way... I feel this is sort of a microcosm of what's going to happen next week. Next week, there's this national walk-out-of-school thing that's organized. I want to say it's March 14th. That's off the top of my head. But I, I mean, it, sometime sometime next week, there's this national high school kids walk out of school to protest, you know, because they want more gun control levels, whatever that's going to mean. Well, OK, I think this is the same way. You know, there needs to be rules. Hey, if you're going to have an unauthorized walkout, there needs to be some consequence. And that's. That's also, by the way, the price of civil disobedience. You might learn that early on. You know, you engage in civil disobedience. You decide to stage a sit-in in in the middle of the street. Don't be surprised if you don't end up getting arrested. Sue in Walworth County. Sue, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hi. Hi, Sue. I feel that um, the parents are the best able to determine if the child is serious about being an activist and it's something they truly believe in, because if they've never mentioned it before at home, except it's a skip day, then the parent should be able to tell if they're sincere or not. And if the parent doesn't provide them with a note based on that um, intelligence about mm-hmm. their own child, then the child should pay consequences.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, right, again, if, if these are treated as excused absences and and I don't know. Look, I'll give you an example. For example, if, if you had – let's say you've got the president coming to town, whether it's President Trump or President Obama or President Bush or President Clinton, and um, you know, kids have an opportunity to go see the president, give the speech – um, all you need is a permission slip signed by mom and dad, then I'm cool. I, I'm, I'm absolutely cool with that because, I mean, I appreciate that you could have a situation where, hey, this is, you, this is an opportunity. I feel the same way about going and participating in these demonstrations at all. But you're right, Sue. Mom and dad have to sign off on this. And if they don't, the kids can't be the ones that make that decision. And if they do, the school needs to impose some form of discipline. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for the call. And this this would be my rule for whatever's going to happen next week as well. Set the ground rules. Don't simply allow the kids to be the ones that make these decisions. 1227, Jeff Wagner. When we come back, it's one of the most interesting lawsuits I've seen in a long time. It's big story number two. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of our texts makes a very, very interesting point. Now, of course, yesterday, the people who want to protest for for DACA, you know, had the opportunity to use these high school kids who walked out of school as as props. Um, Interesting. This is what the texter says. One way to find out which kids were really interested would have been if they would have staged the rally after school hours. You know, so instead of saying, "Hey, um, we expect you to," we're, we're going to do this at five o'clock. You know, we're going to do it after school ends, so you don't have to walk out of school to do this. Instead of doing it do, doing it during the school day, but of course, that would have probably gee cut down on attendance. Gee, I could come and engage in this protest after school, or. I could be hanging out with my friends, huh? That would be an interesting thing to really kind of test the sincerity of the kids. All right, big story number two. There's all these issues, and I was, I've was actually was waiting for a lawsuit like this to be filed. Um, one of the big things after Parkland is now this call on the part of some, and President Trump apparently appears to be open to this to change the laws to make it illegal for someone to purchase a rifle or an assault rifle or whatever until they hit 21, all right? Um, And that's what the discussion has been, and the NRA is opposed to that, and President Trump appears to be open to that, and there's this back and forth. As we told you a couple weeks ago, there are a couple of sellers of, for example, AR-15s. Who have announced Walmart being one and Dick Sporting Goods being another. Now, these are big retailers, but they're really not big gun dealers in terms of how many firearms they sell. But nevertheless, they've come out and they've said, I tell you what, well, we're not going to wait for Congress to pass a law. What we're going to do is we're going to say that we are not going to allow, allow people to buy either shotguns or rifles until they hit the age of 21. Right? So that's what they say. You know, that that's that's going to be our policy. We want to keep firearms like this out of the hands of younger people. All right. Well, here here's what happens. 20-year-old kid, who kid, 20-year-old man who lives in Oregon has now filed an age discrimination suit against Dick's and Walmart for refusing to sell him a rifle. Oregon law says that if you're a resident of the state, you can buy a shotgun or a rifle as of the age of 18. Federal law also allows people 18 and older to buy rifles and shotguns from licensed dealers. So this 20-year-old says, hey, I went into Walmart, they wouldn't sell me a rifle. I went into Dick's, they wouldn't sell me a rifle. I am being discriminated. The law says... I am entitled to buy a rifle at the age of eighteen. This is age discrimination by these stores telling me that they won't sell me a rifle until I am twenty one. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this potential gun buyer, you know, have have a point? He says, Look, I the law says I have a right to own this particular firearm at the age of 18. This it if you tell me I cannot lawfully do something until the age of 21, you are discriminating against me. And the flip side would be, let's say um let let's say that you have a rental car company. Let me give you the flip side of this example. You have a rental car company that decides that we don't think older people know how to drive. So we're going to – this is just my example. It is a hypothetical. But the rental car company says we're not going to rent cars to anybody over the age of 65 or over the age of 70. If you're 70 and a half, you cannot rent a car from us. Would that be age discrimination? Does this young man have a point? 414 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Should he be able to buy the gun as long as Oregon law says he can own the gun? Federal law says he can own the gun? Are they discriminating against him based on age? by Dicks and Walmart saying no. 4147991620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, but think this through. Does the young man have a point? Are they discriminating against him because of his age based on this policy? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. 12:40, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
3: Top stories, We're following breaking news, traffic under the roads looked at and weather. The WTMJ five day forecast. Wisconsin's radio station gets you out the door. WTMJ.
0: Let's talk a little bit about my pillow. I know I've been telling you about this for months, but the truth is, it's true. Um, I was having trouble sleeping, and more importantly, I was waking up with this pain in my neck. Um, I tried all sorts of things, but the biggest change was when I switched to the My Pillow brand pillow. I found I started sleeping better, my tossing and turning went away, and mostly I woke up without this big pain in the neck. Look, this isn't some fad or gimmicky product. The truth is my pillow works, and if you care about getting a good night's sleep, you should buy one now. The folks at MyPillow, now look, they're so sure that you're going to be satisfied. They are currently offering a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com and buy one right now. It could change your life here's what the deal is right now. Go to MyPillow.com. You'll see a note that says four-pack special. Click on it. They'll ask you for the promo code. That's my last name, Wagner. You can also call 800-953-4163. They'll ask you the promo code. Just say Wagner. And you can get 50% off two MyPillow Premium Pillows and two Go Anywhere Pillows. Again, 1-800-953-4163 or MyPillow.com. Use the promo code Wagner to get this offer. The only thing you have to lose is another sleepless night. 1244 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, I think this is a really interesting lawsuit. If you're just tuning in, uh, the, the, there's a law in Oregon that says 18 years or older, you can buy a rifle. And that corresponds with the federal law that sets the limit at 18. 20-year-old guy goes into Dick's Sporting Goods and Walmart, tries to buy a rifle. They say, no, you're below our limit, which is 21. He says, well, the law says I'm entitled to do this at 18. And they kind of go hummina, hummina, hummina. Does he have a case? Now, many rental car agencies will have a policy that you cannot, even though you've got a driver's license and a credit card, that they won't rent to you below the age of 25. Is that different from this? Well, in many of those cases, there's not a state or federal law that says you have a right to rent a car at the age of 18 or 21. In Oregon, you have a law that says, hey, if you're over 18, you have the right to possess these guns. Four one four Let's start with Kim and Racine. Kim, hello. Hi. What do you think?
1: I think they should allow them to take the guns. We send them over to Iraq and Iran and all these other places, and they can fire these military-style weapons. Mm-hmm. We can outlaw those, I suppose, but uh, I think they have a right to bear arms.
0: Right, and if the law says that he can own a gun at the age of 18, you would say it would be age discrimination for a retailer to say, we don't care what the law says, we're not going to sell him the gun until he hits 21.
4: Right.
0: Yeah. Now they, they, they I mean, See, to me, that's that's what the interesting aspect of this is. I mean, would a bar, and, and think of all the different permutations of this. All right, the drinking age is 21. Would a bar be able to say, we're not going to allow, we don't care that the drinking age is 21. We're not going to allow anybody under the age of 30 to come into the bar because we, we feel that, you know, we have w- whatever, you know, we we fig- we figure that people who are 26 years old, can't handle their liquor and cause problems. Would a bar be within its rights in being able to say we're not going to allow you into our bar? We're not going to serve you regardless of what regardless of what the law says. Is that age discrimination? 414-799-1620. Dan in Oconomowoc. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hi, Jeff. Uh, your last caller. Just hit my point exactly. Uh, if you're if you're 21 and you can't handle a gun, you can't drink. Then I guess you shouldn't be able to join the military until you're 21. Um, that it's a federal law that he can have one. He should be able to have one.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me ask you. What about okay? Let's say Dan. Let me give you my example. You own a bar, and you decide. You know, I just. I, I don't want to deal with younger people, so I'm going to say, even though you can drink at the age of 21, nobody under the age of 30 allowed in my bar. Do you think you should be able to do that?
3: No, I don't. I think it's, if the age is 21, you should you have to That's the law. Because then you're going to let anybody interpret the law the way they want. They can change whatever they want. Mm-hmm. You have to enforce, if it's 21, you legally would have to serve that person unless they were causing a problem or something like that okay no thanks thanks,
0: right okay thanks for calling i guess that that's what the issue here becomes it's can can a business owner should a business owner whether it's a rental car agency or a gun dealer or a bar owner should they be able to say okay the law is a minimum And what we're going to do is we're going to then, you know, increase this. We're going to go because we – even though the law says somebody that's 20 years old, you know, should be able to legally buy a gun, we don't feel good about that. So as a matter of policy, it's going to be 21. And then I throw this out. What about the flip side of that? I mean, would it it be age discrimination for the rental car agency to say, all right, you've got a valid driver's license, but you're 75 years old. We're not going to rent you a car. Now, in that case – I think everybody, or almost everybody, would agree that would be illegal. You can't do that. That would be age discrimination. Does it work the other way around? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rick in Green Bay. Hi, Rick. You're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today?
0: I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
3: I think that uh, business owners have a right to refuse service to anyone. They have signs in the bars that say that. I've seen signs in other establishments.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, okay. A a business owner, that's kind of like the no shoes, no shirt, no service, that kind of thing. A business owner has the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason, as long as it's not an illegal reason. Um, you know, you can't say I'm not going to serve you because you're black or I'm not going to serve you because you are Catholic. That, that would be illegal. I guess the question becomes, do you think that they, do you think age should be one of these things that they should be able to, um, say, I don't, I, it doesn't matter. I can just, I can do whatever I want because of age.
3: Well, I think once they said, you know, the 21, if they had just kept the sign up there, we were. reserve the right to refuse service to anyone there's a bar in green bay that if if you swear Mm
4: -hmm. they'll make you leave i I don't care what the cuss word is
0: right well but of course in, in that case see it again this is where it gets tricky because like i say you you can refuse service to anybody for any reason or no reason as long as it's not an illegal reason you can't um However, you can't discriminate against people who are in various protected classes. For example, in Wisconsin, you can't discriminate against somebody because of um their ethnicity. You can't, in Wisconsin, discriminate against somebody based on their sexual orientation. You can't say, hey, this is a gay bar. You're straight. I'm not going to serve you. Or... Um, you know, we don't want gays in our bar. We're not going to serve you. You can't do that. That would be an illegal reason for refusing service. Age is a protected class a- as well. I mean, that you can't, you can't say to somebody, you're too old or you're too young as long as, again, they're, they're legally entitled to do this. That's where this gets really, really tricky. Let's talk to Caroline in Milwaukee. Caroline, you're in WTMJ. Hello.
4: Hi, how's it going?
0: Very well, thank you. What do you think about all this?
4: Uh, I think that there should be a bigger view on it. The, you know, certain companies, like I was explaining, they have a certain permit that they have to sign in order to be able to distribute these arms and distribute these cars and distribute the alcohol and things like that. Now, I was a bartender. I was 19 serving alcohol, but I couldn't drink. I didn't really see how that worked out. A friend of mine went to the military with parental consent at the age of 17 but he had to be 18 to buy a gun. I think that they should look a little bit broader into the perspectives of of these companies and also how do they present themselves when they go to purchase these things. Age discrimination goes along the lines with racism and everything else, and everyone's out there for a lawsuit, but they need to think about how they're presenting themselves in these situations.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Do Do you think the guy was wrong in filing the lawsuit?
4: I don't think he was wrong. I think he should have thought about it before he went too happy.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, my guess is he was probably. My guess, well, I, I don't know. Don't know if he knew about this policy or not. My guess is, because, look, there's all sorts of places he could still go and buy a rifle. <laughs> you know. I, so my yeah. guess is he was trying to make a, a point with this.
4: Right. That's, um, that's uh, what I'm seeing out of this, too, because there's no reason to, because you got shot down from two places through a temper tantrum, call a lawyer. If you want to buy a gun that adamantly, then you can go to any other pawn shops or gun stores or anything along those lines. Within those laws, they cannot refuse your service unless you are presenting yourself as somebody who they do not want to sell and have a potential problem with later on.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Look, I I don't claim to be um, an expert in in civil rights law. I I will tell you this. At first blush, this sounds – and I thought this when I saw this announcement being made – this strikes me as age discrimination. I mean, in in general, um, in general, if the limit, if you are allowed to do something at the age of, of twenty one or eighteen or whatever, um, to say ta- to say that we're going to arbitrarily oppose, impose a, a higher limit, again, that that strikes me as age discrimination. Now, I understand that there's bars that say, okay, you know, we're not going to serve people until they're twenty five. I would be curious if there was a lawsuit. If somebody said, Hey, I tried to go in there and have a drink at the age of 22, I'm legally allowed to drink and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't serve me. I would be interested to know how that turns out because age is uh, a protected class. And in general, like I say again, and this is, it's a concept that I know sometimes people, well, what do you say? If you're the business owner, you could, you can choose who you want to serve. Well, Yes and no, you, you can't you can't choose to discriminate against somebody based on race or their gender or their religion or their sexual orientation or or their age. I'm going to be fascinated to see where this lawsuit plays out, because, you know, a lot of times you see these things and you roll your eyes. And clearly, this guy is trying to make an a point There there's no, no question about it, because he could go to a million other places and buy the same rifle and not have the problem. But just because he's trying to make a point doesn't mean that he might not have a point so i'm going to be fascinated to see this play its way through court can i guarantee you that he's going to win no but is this some sort of frivolous lawsuit not at all all right it's 1254 when we come back is the guy a nut a drunk a threat to president trump or all of the above stick around 1255 jeff wagner wtmj 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, somebody texts and says, well, age isn't a protected category until you hit 40. Well, th- that's for the federal employment discrimination. You can't discriminate against somebody in a job. Um, until they hit the age of 40 under a particular federal law. But there's other laws that might protect younger people as well. Be interesting to see how that whole case works out. He was a defensive player of the year. One of the fastest players at last week's NFL combine. And by the way, he only has one hand. How early will Shaquem Griffin be drafted this spring? Share your thoughts on Sports Central with Greg Matzik. 815 this evening. Greg's got a full show. Does a great job. All right. When we come back. Um, It it was, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who has seen a lot of bizarre performances over the course of the last 30 years. This, even by those standards, was one of the most bizarre series of performances that I have ever seen. And as a recovering lawyer and a formal federal prosecutor, take some advice. Generally speaking, Telling a federal prosecutor to take his grand jury subpoena and do you know what with it? Well, typically that doesn't work out very well for you. All right, the former Trump aide who made the rounds of TV, is he a drunk? Is he a nutbag? Is he a danger to the president? Is he all of those things? we are discuss. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One oh eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in about fifteen minutes. I'm going to tell you the story of Flippy and why some people should be concerned about Flippy. Stick around. But before that, big story number three. I have to tell you, um, my, my notes were nutbag, drunk, danger to the president, or any combination of the above. I, I have. I. I. I was. I was watching these the, the, the reports of former Trump campaign aide Sam Nunberg as he was making the rounds of the various cable shows yesterday. Now, let me just kind of back up in this. Um, as a general rule, and this, again, comes from somebody who worked with grand juries and things like that. As a general rule... Daring prosecutors to prosecute you or put you in jail is rarely, not always, but rarely a winning sort of strategy. I lump it in the category of be careful what you wish for because you you might get it. Here's the way The Washington Post reports this. There have been few more surreal moments in the Russia investigation, indeed in the entire Trump era. And that is saying something than the one we just witnessed. The Washington Post's Josh Dawsey broke the news Monday afternoon that former Trump campaign aide Sam Nunberg was shunning special counsel Robert Mueller's grand jury subpoena. And in the article, Nunberg supplied a series of colorful comments. He then took to MSNBC and CNN for some even more unplugged interviews. Here's a recap of, of what he He said, He said he was ignoring the subpoena in part because there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government and it would consume too much of his time. He then went on to say that he thinks Mueller might, though, have something else on President Trump. He says, I think they may. I think that he might have done something during the election, but I don't know that for sure. In the interview airing later on CNN, Nunberg elaborated cryptically the way they asked about his business dealings, the way they asked if you had heard anything, even while I was fired. It just made me think they suspected something about him. Um, Ultimately, he told CNN that Trump may very well have done something during the election with Russia. Um, one of the big unanswered questions of the Russian investigation is whether the president had any knowledge of or involvement in the meeting Donald Trump Jr. set up at the Trump Tower with the Russian lawyer. Um, Nunberg says he's convinced that uh, Trump uh, was looking for help from foreign sources. You know he knew about it, Nunberg said. He was talking about it a week before. I don't know why he went around trying to hide it. Okay, huh. Um, It's not clear exactly what the guy is referring to. He dares Mueller to arrest him. Regarding the idea that Mueller would hold him in contempt for refusing to honor a grand jury subpoena, Nunberg said to uh, the Washington Post reporter, Let him arrest me. Mr. Mueller should understand I am not going in on Friday. I think it would be funny if they arrested me. Huh. Having seen... Oh, hundreds of people carted off in handcuffs and orange jumpsuits out of federal courts. There's many words that come to mind. Funny has never exactly been one of them. Deserve it? Absolutely. Funny? um, I don't know. Um, he later, he, he says that he hates Trump. He says that Trump is an idiot. Then he says Donald Trump won this election on his own. He campaigned his butt off, although he doesn't say butt, and there's nobody who hates him more than me. Um, he referred to Bill Clinton's illegitimate black child. He threatened to go on Bloomberg TV and tear up his subpoena. At one point in time, the CNN anchor says to him, have you been drinking? I smell alcohol. Now, you know it's bad. When the CNN anchor, and CNN, of course, is no fan of Donald Trump, looks at this guy and says, are, are you drunk? And he says, no, but I'm, I am I, I do have my, my medication. All right. I swear, I don't know exactly what to make of this character. 414 is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. But, I mean, it, it's really any one of a number of things. Sam Nunberg fired kind of disgraced, former Trump campaign aide who has been talking to the special counsel, makes this bizarre series of interviews yesterday. All right. Is, is he nuts? Is he drunk? Is he a danger to President Trump? Or is this just a sideshow to whatever it is that Robert Mueller was uh, had going on? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For those of you, if you saw this yesterday or read about it, and if you follow politics and you watch the talking head shows, it was tough not to see this guy. All right, your reaction to him, is this something that the president should be worried about? I'll give you my answer when we come back. 414-799-1620 that is the American Mortgage Talk and Text line. Nutbag, threat to the president, or both? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 114. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It was by any stretch bizarre. Now, let me just kind of review the bidding for a second. Because my, my guess is maybe you, you watched this and you said, "Okay, Sam Nunberg. I, I have no idea who this guy is. I mean, what, what's going on?" Well, he. I, the the biggest question I think is is why President Trump hired him in in the first place. He was he was an associate of former Richard Nixon aide Roger Stone. He apparently worked for Trump as a political advisor back in 2012 when Trump considered running for president. Back then, Trump fired Nunberg after he ranged for a BuzzFeed news profile of Trump that ran with the headline, 36 hours on the fake campaign trail with Donald Trump. All right, so he'd fired him. He then hired him back in the run-up to the 2016 presidential campaign. He was fired in the early fall of 2016 after it came out that he had... Um, I don't know, posted various things, um, racially charged, disparaging posts dating back to 2007, including using the N-word, um, calling President Barack Obama a socialist, Marxist, Islamo-fascist, Nazi appeaser. Here, tell us what you think. Um, in, in any event, the, the Trump campaign fired him. So this guy has been the very definition of a loose cannon for a number of Of years and the big question again is why would you hire him but you could say that about a number of people that President Trump has has hired Um, that performance yesterday and again some people are saying well it it, it undermines Trump no it candidly it's so over-the-top it's so over-the-top that if you're the federal prosecutors and you're looking at this guy as a potential witness. I'll give you that perspective. You're watching this, going, "Oh my God!" You know, we we who could put him, who could put him on the witness stand? I don't care if this guy knows who kidnapped the Lindbergh baby and has the key to solving all the crimes committed in the city of Milwaukee. You could not put him on the witness stand because. He's just such a kook, and he's the loose cannon. He's rolling across the deck. And from a prosecutor's perspective, the, the last thing you need is a loose cannon rolling around the deck because sometimes he might fire off in the direction that you want him to, but otherwise he might shoot him and your prosecution in the foot. So the bottom line of all this from this investigation yesterday is it, it, it makes great theater, does raise the question about, gee, what did people in the Trump campaign think they were doing when they hired him in the first place? But from the perspective of damaging information against the Trump campaign, the, the the truth is, first of all, it's difficult for me to believe that anybody would have entrusted this man with any sort of inside information of any sort of significance. That's number one. And number two, he's absolutely almost unusable as a witness because he's just so scattered and all over the map. So I understand that there's some people who thought, oh, this guy could be a nail in the, if they decide to prosecute Donald Trump, this could be one of the nails. I just don't see how you can put this character on the witness stand. Now, does he have some information that he could give you that could lead to other leads? Well, uh, that's fine. But this is one of those guys from a prosecutor's perspective, I I just don't see what you do with him. So let's answer my question. Was he drunk? Don't know, but that looked like to kind of be the case. Is he a complete and total nut job? Absolutely. Is he a danger to the Trump administration? I just don't see it because you can't... I just can't imagine a prosecutor using this guy as a witness for anything unless it's going to be comic relief. Just saying. All right, when we come back, I want to tell you the story of Flippy and... Ask whether or not he is a danger to American industry. Stick around. It's 122. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 124. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Milwaukee has long been a hub for sex trafficking. Hmm. Take a deeper look inside how young women in the area get trapped into the terrible trade. John and Melissa have that story at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right. I think about a related story. Every time I, I see one of those inevitable protests that pop up, it seems like once every couple months or so, where you have the fast food workers who, in some cases, walk off the jobs. In many cases, it, it's people who are paid to, to protest. But they show up outside, typically like McDonald's or other forms of burger doodles, normally close to TV, to TV stations. Like where we're sitting here, there's a McDonald's, what about... Uh, less than a block, a block and a half away. And typically that's one that gets protest. Why do they pick that McDonald's to protest? Well, because it, it's a block and a half away from the TV station. So you make it easy for, you know, the news director to say, Oh, there's the protest. You know, you only have to go, you know, a block and a half. If you have to drive 30 miles, maybe you don't cover the thing, but it's all these people who come out and they protest about the fact that we want $15 an hour for minimum wage. And and I remember, Several months ago, I I always said, "Well, you better be careful what you wish for," because we were talking about how nowadays various fast food restaurants are moving towards these these kiosks where you you don't you you order at the kiosk. So instead of talking to a person, you know, through the drive-through or at the window. What you do is you walk in, and there'll be a kiosk, and you just kind of push the buttons there. Hey, I want two Big Macs or, you know, whatever, two order of fries. You order it yourself. You put the, but, push, the push the button. You hit send. Maybe you pay for it there with your credit card or whatever, and then you go up to a window and pick it up. It doesn't completely and totally eliminate everybody behind the counter But it eliminates several people behind the counter. Maybe instead of three people taking orders, you only need one, you know, that would be assembling that stuff. That's kind of the wave of the future. And I forget what these kiosks cost because they're putting in a bunch of Wendy's. But the... The, the payback period for how much, you know, you have to invest money putting in this kiosk. Um, but the payback period gets quicker. You know, it's one thing if you're paying people 11 or 12 dollars. It's another thing, $15 an hour. And so a lot of the people who were, again, pushing for this $15 an hour minimum wage for fast food workers, what they were doing in one respect is simply making it easier for, again, their, their employer to get rid of their jobs. Which brings me to the story of Flippy. Flippy is a burger-flipping robot, and he is apparently a reality. Big story in the Washington Post today. Um, burger-flipping robot, it's called Flippy, doesn't require a paycheck or benefits. Get this, it can grill, Flippy can grill 150 burgers per hour, and is now a cook, at CaliBurger, which is a franchise in, in California. The robot is a specialized industrial six-access robotic arm bolted to the kitchen floor. It works lunchtime at this International Burger Chain's Pasadena, California location. It takes orders through a digital tracking system. It flips the burger patties. It removes them from the grill. It uses thermal and regular vision as well as cameras to detect when the raw meat is placed on the grill. Then it monitors each burger throughout its cooking process. Now, Flippy, still right now, in this iteration still needs a human guide to actually place the patties on the grill so you still need a person to put the patties on the grill but other than that, it takes care of everything that's done. The robot also displays the burger's cooking times on a screen so that its human co-workers know when to top patties with cheese and start dressing them with lettuce and tomatoes. So, you know, right now they're calling this the world's first burger-flipping robot. And again, this is the first version of this, and you still need at least a person to know when to put the cheese on and things like that. But this robot costs 65,000 bucks. Okay, that's that's the investment. But once you have the $65,000 robot, once you've made that investment, you need a lot fewer people. It doesn't completely eliminate, you know, everybody working in the kitchen. Just like the kiosks, kiosks don't completely eliminate everybody taking orders. But when you've got a, a robot grilling 150 burgers per hour that certainly eliminates the need for i don't know one or two jobs maybe more and as the robot gets more sophisticated they figure that it's going to be able to do more and more things all four seven nine nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line let's tee this up is this the wave uh, of the future and are more and more restaurants going to be turning to this? Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. My understanding is right now there's an exclusive deal with this Cali Burger thing, but six months from now, apparently this technology, people all over the country can buy it. Will we see this? Is this going to be the wave of the future? And these these jobs that have been around for a long time, the burger flipping are they going to be gone five years from now? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Is Flippy the burger flipping robot the wave of the future? And my answer, good or bad, is yes. One thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, W T M J. You know the other thing that these. This is Flippy, the burger flipping robot. 60000 bucks, you can buy this. A lot of people think it's going to be the wave of the future. One of the other things it solves is a labor problem. I have a friend who owns a number of fast food restaurants, and consist- consistently, when I, he will always say the biggest problem they have is finding Good people to man all the different you know stores that they have, and you know that's that's one of the other things that this automation drives. Um, let's start with Gary in Wauwatosa. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hi, Jeff. How are you doing?
0: Good. What do you think?
3: I think Flippy is the way of the future. I saw the video on Facebook this morning, and I thought it was a fantastic machine. I don't know if that's going to be the one that's going to replace all these workers, but the one I saw on TV was really slick.
0: Well, well, right, I mean, and, and it's got, first of all, it doesn't get tired, it doesn't nope. need breaks, um, you know, a, a large number of burgers per hour, the one that they have out now, it cleans the grill, it monitors all this stuff, um, yeah.
3: They had one person monitoring it the whole time it was it was on uh, the video.
0: Yeah, so, right, and, I, and again, it doesn't completely replace a kitchen staff, but you don't no. need... You don't need three or four line cooks. You need one person there with the thing to put down the meat patty and another one, and the same person presumably to know when to put the cheese on the burger or something like that. It's, it's, I mean, for people who think that, you know, $15 an hour to cook burgers and they can't be replaced, I just think they're in for a rude awakening.
3: I wish I could have gotten fifteen dollars an hour when I was that age.
0: Um, thanks to call. Well, again, it's and it's just and and here's the thing: when you see these pushes for higher and higher salaries in entry level positions, uh, you you have to realize that there is this automation that's out there, and the higher wages that people get, the more cost effective and the more attractive it becomes to the company to go ahead and say, okay, $60,000 downstroke, an investment in buying this, this burger cooking robot, that's a lot of money. But okay, what is the payback period? If we now need one person in the kitchen instead of three – Whatever the numbers would be, um, and, and that's that means okay, fifteen dollars an hour, you know, times you know eight, so it's one hundred twenty dollars a day. Where do you get the payback period plus benefits and all that type of stuff? At some point in time, it starts to become more and more attractive. I'm just saying that automation is out there and it's changing. It's changing the way that I think we, we approach things. Uh, Darren on the east side, Darren, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hey, good afternoon. What a great topic, and uh, I mean it's yeah it. I think it when they think of automation and it's just it's kinda of the way things are evolving and I've always thought that the situation with Foxconn, I just don't like when they propose all these job opportunities, I just it never made sense that that they would have that many workers because automation that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, I mean that's that's mm-hmm. just kind of the future and I mean obviously the concern is when you know, what are all these workers going to do? I just think it's going to be a situation where there's going to need to be more subsidies of government money for people. Similarly, like, like, I mean, I always say Walmart's got the best health plan there is because they're all on subsidy, they, they're at a low enough wage that they have to get subsidized health care. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a concerning thing. Well,
0: I mean, yeah. I guess, and I, I mean, I, I think And this is going to affect all sorts of industries. I mean, um, you know, um, automating things is not a, a new concept. You know, we, we've you know we we've been seeing this for the last you know hundred years, um, but I think it's starting to it's starting to go into industries where traditionally they weren't in these type of industries, and I don't think it's going to happen today or tomorrow, but. I think it's something that people need to be mindful of, because when you're going out and you're saying, okay, I, I want $15 an hour, or we want guaranteed $20 an hour, whatever that is, that's fine, but there are alternatives that businesses are going to have. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ.
2: Jeff, always great listening to your show.
0: Thank you, sir. Um, and you, I notice you always happen to call up from Orlando, like after we've had snow in March and stuff like that. <laughs> I notice that as well. <laughs>
2: that is totally coincidental
0: okay fair enough
2: (laughs) um well we we've had those those kiosks see i've been back in um, uh i'm I'm actually native Floridian. it's been most of my life in wisconsin as you know but back to Mm -hmm. native Floridian. but i've been back down here now for what two years now and we've had those kiosks since i've been here those where you take the orders right and they demand here in florida in orlando is higher than most places The low, the wage for your like the, the, you know the fast food workers is much higher because there's just such a demand for the for the workforce. Right. And yeah. My my experience with the kiosks here is just that no one no one younger than older than me uses them. They still everyone still wants to, you know regular person they take the order. So yes. and they're very underutilized because the demand is so high. But I think that um, I don't think necessarily that the wages are driving the demand for the technology upgrade, automation upgrade. I think that's just how things are. It's much more efficient, um, and even if even if you're you're paying someone five bucks an hour, it's still much more efficient to have right. a machine that you know has that's low maintenance if it's well maintained right. that could do it much more efficiently. Well,
0: so, and plus you but, just touched on it too. I think part of it too is the labor shortage. I mean, you said that you know they have to pay more than minimum wage. That's not an issue just to get help. And but like I say, my friend who owns lots and lots of a particular fast food franchise, that's what he tells me too. They they, they struggle to find good workers who you know are going to stay you know even though they they pay well above minimum wage um flippy the burger flipping robot he's going to show up day after day you don't have to worry about him not coming in
2: right yeah and i I also want to point out that i think the market ultimately will decide that as well like i was telling the screener i think that in fast food flippy may work in fast food but he's not going to work in high-end right like high-end dining but and also like it like if you, like with customer service, like when you call in, we've learned the bad. We've learned obviously that people don't like they don't like the automation. They don't like it. so a lot of companies are going back to human, like answering calls. So in the long and you know short run, I think that automation is the, the wave of the future. But overall, I think the market will decide. But again, you know I don't think you know it's it, 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 you know it's market driven. Right.
0: What, right. No, and I think and you make a point now. Of course. You know, you you raise an interesting question, Lamar. When you say, "Okay, nobody nobody older than me," you know, uses you know th- uses the kiosks and stuff, and and that's you can say that about a, a lot of stuff. It's like newspapers. You know, no, there there is. I mean, somebody. Okay, is there anybody under the age of forty that still sits down with a hard copy of a newspaper anymore? when you know outside of if if you're sitting waiting for your oil to be changed or something like that it's not saying that people don't want the information but you know people read it online that's just the way this has evolved and I think I mean I think that's the the same thing I think more and more what you're going to see is people are going to be they're ordering things with apps when we went to Key West Fran I went to Key West two weeks ago I'm I, I there's it used to be when you flew on a plane All right. What you would do is you would physically the travel agent or whoever would physically issue a hard ticket. You would have that hard ticket. God forbid if you lost it, you show up. You know, you give it to the person, and they, they tear your ticket or whatever, give you the stub you get on the plane. All right, well, I, I was watching this because I was on four separate flights. You know, we changed planes in Atlanta, so Milwaukee to Atlanta, landed to Key West, Key West to Atlanta, Atlanta back to Milwaukee. I, I'm not sure I, – I, less than 10% of the people that were getting on the plane had what I would describe as the traditional hard copy of a ticket. Um, I would say less than 50% of the people had what, I mean, I'm already kind of a dinosaur because what I will do is I'll, I mean, I'll I'll make the arrangements. I'll print off my boarding pass on the Internet and then, you know, have it with me. I'll check in 24 hours beforehand. I'll print it off. I, I think that that's the, you know, there's not that many people who do that nowadays. Nowadays, everybody's got it on the phone which I think delays boarding a little bit as people futz around with it. But you know, everybody's got their boarding pass on the phone. It scans the phone. Boom, you get on the plane. That's the way this is going. And it used to be you'd have, I don't know how many different people would be involved in you know issuing the ticket. Now, everybody, again, it's on the phone. It's all computerized. Boom, you rarely interact with anyone. You've got the one person at the gate instead of maybe three or four or whatever. This is just the way it's going. Now, my guess is... Again, people above a certain age wouldn't think of downloading it and doing it on the phone, but that's kind of how this is is all changing. And I just, you know, who knows what this industry is going to look like a couple years from now, but this is the latest innovation. All right. When we come back, a football team is accused of making its own political statement in who it hires. We'll discuss. Stick around. 145 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There may be snow on the ground, but we're thinking warm thoughts. The countdown to opening day is on. Gene Miller has the latest from Brewer Spring Training in Arizona. Unfortunately, Gene is not in Arizona. Gene is still here, uh, six fifty-one tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. We were at a meeting just the other day talking about our opening day lineup and plans. That is going to be very, very cool. Actually, the Brewers open on the road this year. They're in San Diego on Thursday, March twenty-ninth. That's the uh, day after our Insight broadcast. And ticket sales have been robust. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. Um, you can go to WTMJ.com to see the icon that says, you know, Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018. We're going to have Attorney General Brad Schimmel and my dear friend Kathleen O'Leary from State Fair. We're talking about feature future of State Fair, and um, we'll have either video or in person. We'll have both uh, Republican Senate candidates. We'll have the conservative candidate for the state Supreme Court, Judge Michael Screnick. The election is the following Tuesday. Our headliner is, of course, a one-on-one conversation up close and personal with Governor Walker. Uh, tickets are $25. It, it is at the Country Springs Hotel. So come on out and check that out. Hope to see everybody there. All right. Um, the NFL, just like, Oscar rates, boy, the, the numbers are in for the Oscars. The all-time lowest viewership of the Oscars. Um, before that, it was like 2007 or 2008, the year uh, No Country for Old Men won. This was worse than that. Um, a huge drop in the audience. And I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, but, I mean, candidly, for people who simply say, oh, there's more choices and things like that, that doesn't explain the dramatic Drop off that's there, and I think one of the things are is that people. I mean, there weren't that many great movies out there this year, and a lot of the movies that were nominated, people hadn't seen and didn't have any intention of seeing, at least not in the movie theater. And on top of that, I I think a lot of people are just tired of the the preachy political Hollywood stuff and don't want to get lectured to don't feel like being lectured to by a bunch of uh, the Hollywood elite. And that is precisely what ended up happening. Um, So I, I think there's a backlash against politics. I think it is unquestionable that the same thing happened. And we've talked about this in various contexts to the NFL this year. People tune into football because they want entertainment. They want to root for their teams. They want to see the players. Ratings were off dramatically this year for a number of reasons. A lot of the star players got injured. All right, you know, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. Well, all right, if you don't care about the Packers, you're somebody in. I, I don't know, Portland, Oregon, you know, you don't care about the Packers necessarily, but you love Aaron Rodgers. He's not playing. Well, alright, maybe there's something else you're going to do when the Packers are the featured game on, you know, on a Sunday night or whatever because you don't really care about the Packers but you like the stars. That's a factor. The fact that there's so much football on is a factor, but you will never ever convince me that one of the things that affected ratings wasn't the politica, the, the politicization of the NFL. The players you know kneeling during that type of stuff, because I think that there's a lot of people who just said, this isn't what we want. We don't want to have, you know, the Colin Kaepernick's of the world lecturing us on politics, you know, and, and making their own political statements by kneeling during the National Anthem. We don't even know what the political statement they're trying to make is. So I think that was a factor. Well, that's back in the news, because the owner of the Houston, Texas, a guy named Bob McNair, he apparently... Has been sending out the message. This is according to at least, you know, two agents. Two agents said that, you know, it's been communicated to them that the Houston Texas are not going to consider signing players who were seen kneeling during the national anthem. The report says it's not a directive from within the organization, but there is an understanding of which players Houston should pursue in free agency. So, in other words, if your guy was one of the people this is the agents if you're representing somebody who's one of these kneelers houston doesn't want you um there's another report that miami the miami dolphins owner is apparently saying this isn't going to happen again we're not going to have players on this team who kneel during the national anthem 414-799-1620 that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line if this is in fact true that at least a couple of these teams, through their owners, have just made a decision, look, we we don't want the folks that are using the NFL to make political statements. Is there anything wrong with it? 414-799-1620. And maybe you're going to disagree with me, but you know what? I think the owners of these teams have every right to do it. I think because this is a... a because you are in the public light, because this, you want to be very, very fan friendly, I think that you have, just like the players have a right, I guess, if they decide they want to make political statements, they have the right to do it. I think an owner of a team has every right to say, alright, I don't want my team used for this. I don't want to deal with the fan backlash. I don't want to have the problems that people are going to be upset. I don't want this controversy. I think an owner of a team has every right to say, I don't want to get involved with the people who've chose to do these protests. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 154 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 157 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I just think this is one of the inevitable things that comes... From these protests, if you're just tuning in, Houston, Texas, the NFL team, apparently the owner has sort of informally said, hey, when we're looking for free agents, these guys who were involved in the protests, I don't want them. All right. Anything wrong with that? Let's start with Craig in Milwaukee. Craig, good afternoon.
3: Uh, Thanks, Jeff, for the opportunity to share my thoughts. Um, No, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, NFL teams speaking out about their. Um, you know, their preference for not kneeling. I think in the future, many companies in all different industries are going to, to play to either the liberal or the conservative customer. And I think we'll see some companies or some industries split along those lines. They'll have to have an option for a liberal Hmm. Uh, you know, company, uh liberal-minded or liberal-leaning company and a conservative-leaning well, company. Well, I think
0: what the NFL is trying to do is to take the politics out of it. They don't want to be either conservative or liberal. They just they just don't want the protest. They want to try to play it down the middle.
3: I, I, I get that. I've, I've kind of given up on, on the NFL, but I tell you, if they had a an um, a LFC and a uh, CFC, i <laughs> That would be interesting. Theory. Well,
0: it, you know, thanks. I mean, it, it is getting difficult to to avoid the politics in this. But I mean, it's and I understand. You know, Laura Ingram got you know a lot of heat when she said, "Oh, the basketball players should just shut up and dribble." And and now I I wouldn't have said that. But at the same time, if you're an owner, you know, you're like, hey, hey, look. It's one thing for people to be politically active on their own time. It's another thing if they want to use, you know, my forum, my stage to do that and thereby, you know, alienate a portion of the fans, 5%, 10%, whatever. Now, I think this might be the wave of the future. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, this is Jeff Wagner, as we are just saying, Insight 2018, tickets are available, the ticket sales so far have been robust, that's great, so check it out, it is three weeks from tomorrow, Country Springs Hotel, we're going to have a lot of fun, so uh, again, the, the guest list, we, we've got the Republican Senate candidates, Kevin Nicholson in person, Leah Vukmir, on video, we're going to have Kathleen O'Leary from the State Fair. We're going to have – this is – who knows? We might actually add a couple of guests. Governor Walker, of course, is the keynote. Um, looking forward to that. Um, Attorney General Brad Schimmel, um, just all sort. Mike Skrenik, who is the – um, the conservative choice for the state Supreme Court. He'll be there with us. Um, and Like I say, it might be some surprises as well. So I want to encourage you all to come out. Insight is always just an amazing, an amazing event. And it's uh, just my pleasure and my honor to be able to uh, put, provide it to you uh, this year and hope to see a lot of people out there as well. I love that thing during the news there grew. Bill Shatner, William Shatner, talking about the wrath of Khan. That movie has particular significance because my first wife, my late wife, that was the first movie we went to. That was the romantic in me. We're going to go see, you know, the the Wrath of, of Khan, you know, but it was I. I just always, I remember, I can remember just like it was yesterday, sitting in the movie theater and, and, and watching the thing. I actually thought it was, it was really, really good. The first Star Trek movie, he's right, was awful, just absolutely awful, but that, um, the Wrath of Khan, I think, was the, the best one. It's still, I think it still probably kind of holds up, or like Bill Shatner says, if it doesn't, you can make fun of it. That's pretty good. So, um, that was an interesting piece. And, um, I just, I, whenever the Wrath of Khan happens to be on, I always end up going back and watching that. All right. This is an interesting story, not so much uh, for the reason it's in the news, but for the broader concept of it. This has been. A very, very bad season for the flu. I mean, lots of people getting sick, some people dying. I am a believer in getting flu shots. Gru, who's producing the show, are you a flu shot guy? You didn't get a flu shot. Okay. Okay. I don't get sick. Oh, that's it. He says he doesn't get sick. Famous last words. Okay. So your decision, was it a conscious decision to not get a flu shot or just... Yeah, I, I don't get sick i don't i just didn't think about it you don't think you've ever had one uh, okay all right well um i i am a big believer in getting the, the flu shots i i do and the truth is i haven't gotten the flu since i got the the flu shots and and i understand that they're There's not always this great effectiveness and they try to figure out, they try to guess what strain of flu there's going to be. And some years the flu shot is more successful than others. But as part of, you know, my routine checkup, I I get it. And I've never had adverse reactions to it. Um, I just, I do it as a matter of course because I guess I think it can't hurt. Now I know that there are some people who just, again, like my producer, crew, who don't get sick. <clears throat> so, you know, they don't get the flu shot. And there's some people who just, you know, have various objections to it. And as a general rule, I think that people should be able to choose, you know, whether or not you're going to have it. Although personally, like I say, I, I'm, I am a believer in it. Now, I don't work in an industry where I am interacting with, people with compromised immune systems or people who are are sick i you know I, I i don't that's not my job i talk into a microphone and people listen to me over the magic that is is the radio there is a huge issue in this state and this country with whether or not employees at hospitals medical centers clinics um retirement communities, you know, um, you know, who, who work in like elder care, whether those people should be required to get flu shots or not. And the argument is, well, if you come down with the flu, let's say you work in a hospital. First of all, you're more likely to be exposed to somebody who might be sick. And then if you yourself You know, get the flu, you get this virus or whatever, you're going to be passing it on to people who are coming into, say, a hospital who are already sick. And the last thing you want is somebody going into the hospital because, I don't know, they've got a broken ankle or something, and then catching the flu from one of their medical providers, which is why many, many, many area hospitals have requirements that their employees are supposed to get flu shots. Because, again, it's this level of protection. Now, I bring this up because there's a breaking news story today. The federal government is suing Ozaki County, claiming it violated the civil rights of a worker at a county-owned nursing home when her employers made her get a flu shot in violation of her religious beliefs in order to continue working there. And it, it we, we kind of get into the weeds quickly. The apparently this particular nursing home had said that, you know, all employees have to get flu shots unless you've got a religious objection but their requirement was to get the religious exemption, you had to have, like, a letter from a clergy person. And this woman said, well, I don't belong to an organized church or anything. Um, and they said, okay, well, then you can't use the religious exemption. She got the flu shot. Now she's, you know, filed the lawsuit and the complaint and all. So you were kind of in the weeds on this. It's sort of an arcane sort of thing. You know, they would have let her out if she could legitimately prove she had a religious objection. Uh, but because she didn't have a church, she said she couldn't. But I... That, to me, is the less interesting aspect of this. They've apparently since changed their policy. They now have a different way that you can prove you've got a religious exemption. I I think that the larger issue is the more interesting question here. If you work in a hospital setting, a clinic setting where you're dealing with patients, or in a, in a you know, for example, in a nursing home where you're dealing with older, presumably more infirm people for whom, if they do in fact get the flu... Well, okay, maybe for most people, you know, if you're a healthy 40 year old, you get the flu, you're going to be sick as a dog for a couple days, but, you know, you're going to get better. As opposed to you're an 82 year old person with a somewhat compromised immune system, you pick up the flu from some worker in the nursing home, and it could end up being fatal. I want to talk about the larger issue. Should employers be able to require, particularly in healthcare industries, that their employees get the flu shot. There isn't a law in Wisconsin that requires that, but you know, should they be able to? Does this make sense? Should there be a law to this effect that says essentially, and let's even forget about the religious exemption, that says, hey, if you want to work in these type of industries, um, short of putting your own life at risk you need to get a flu shot 4147991620 that's the acute mortgage talk and text line cuz here you have the balance you have the employees' right to say i don't you know i don't want to have something injected into my body versus the employers concern that hey you're dealing with Ill people, people who have compromised immune systems, who, if they get the flu, could die, and we don't want you putting our patients, clients, whatever, at risk. Should healthcare workers have to get a flu shot? The last numbers I looked at say that about 93% of the healthcare workers in Wisconsin do that. Um, voluntarily or at the urging of their employers. But let's talk about this larger issue. Forget about the details of the particular lawsuit. Like I say, that's in the weeds. I mean, if, if you go into the hospital, for example, do you... You know, you go into the emergency room or whatever to get treated because you fell down and you got a cut that needs stitches. I mean, do you have a right to expect that, hey, maybe the healthcare worker, the nurse, the doctor, whatever, who's going to be stitching you up, the med tech who's going to be drawing your blood, has had a flu shot? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. I have a position that probably nobody's going to be happy with, and I'll share it with you in just a moment. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ twenty Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I have a text from one of our listeners, Randy, who says, "I don't want, I don't want thimerosal, mercury, or aluminum in my veins." In other words, I don't want the flu shot. Okay, th- that that's fine. But then, should you be allowed to, I don't know, work in a hospital setting dealing with people who have compromised immune systems or whatever? If you don't want the flu shot, that's fine. But okay, should that be perhaps a requirement of? that job lots of jobs have different sort of requirements and if you don't want to get a flu shot all right should the employer be able to say sorry that's fine go work in a bookstore 414-799-1620 ken in green bay ken you're on wtmj good afternoon
3: uh good afternoon um so i was telling the screener um i'm a nurse i've been a nurse about 20 years um and i'm calling I, i normally wouldn't call but i'm very passionate about this so you know, in a good year, about 30,000 people across the country die from um, complications related to influenza. So the flu in is a real,
0: good, And that's in a good year. That's, an, that's yeah.
3: an average. That's an average. Um, this year is particularly, um, bad. Um, so what I would say is, you know, people don't have to get a flu shot. You know, no one, no one is forcing anybody to, uh, take the flu mist or get the needle or the Tamersol or the mercury. But then, um, the employer has the right to say, you know what, the people that we're working with are very sick, they're compromised, they have problems coming in here. It's not just about you, it's about those people around you, not to mention uh, taking things home to your children, to elderly parents, spouses, things like that. So um, I've been doing this for a long time. Back when organizations, including um, healthcare organizations in Milwaukee, started down this path, they gave ample notice to their employees That this was going to be happen. I'm talking almost a year in advance. The Mm -hmm. first time this happened where I worked to say, you know what, there are certain requirements you're going to have to meet. Otherwise, you're going to have to get the flu shot. When new employees come in, they're, they're it's made known to them up front. You know, if you want to work here, you have to be immunized, or you have to have you know one of the opt out clauses that other places have. Right. So my take on it is, if you don't want to get a flu shot, you don't have to. But you, you just you can't work in a place where you're going to put other people at risk.
0: Yeah. See, I I and this is from the perspective of somebody who doesn't work in the healthcare industry, but you know who has over the last few years spent more time around hospitals than I, I would, would choose to. And you see people who are sick. Yeah. I mean the i the idea. You know, if I brought. If I brought somebody in, you know, my, my my parents have both passed away, but, you know, it, my mom's sick, my dad's sick, I bring her in the hospital, and they end up getting the flu because they're exposed to some health care worker who is a carrier, I'm going to be mad as you know what. I mean, that's not what you ex- come, take somebody into the hospital and expect, to have happen, and expect to have
4: happen.
3: And I don't believe, you know, as a nurse, and speaking on behalf of most nurses I know, you know, we, we went into healthcare care like everyone else did to be able to help people not to do further harm to them. So maybe right. it just makes sense
0: to it. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the call. Or, I mean, I guess the I, the it, at some point in time, I guess if if you're going to say you're not going to have the, the flu shot, then I don't know whether it's masks or gloves or, or whatever, but I guess I don't find this to be unreasonable. For, now, again, if, if you're somebody who from a – A life or death perspective you can't have that flu shot well okay i mean obviously i think there needs to be at least certain exceptions to that but i think it needs to be narrow because i think the flu shots are in general i think they make it less likely that you're going to get the flu amy in new berlin hi amy you're on wtmj
1: yes hi i am a nurse and um I am required to have a flu shot where I work because if you don't get one, it's like voluntary resignation. And with the flu being so bad, um, it just it makes sense. Um, the The vaccines, are they don't have all that thermosol and all those other preservatives. They're preservative-free. Um, we were given the um, uh, quadrivalent, so we got all four. Um, strains of the uh, flu vaccine given. And it just makes sense. Um, you know, we may be healthy, but we're working with people who, um, are not healthy and have other compromising issues. And, you know, unless you have a reason, you're, you know, allergic to the vaccine or some strong religious, um, conviction, but there needs to be something to back that. Right just conviction
0: now you said, well, and the other thing is, okay, even if you're healthy, presumably maybe you come into contact with somebody who has the flu, you pick it up, and then you pass it on to somebody who, again, is, I'm, I'm using the example of an emergency room nurse, you, you pass it on to somebody who's there because they, they need six stitches. Now they walk out with the flu on top of that because the nurse was a carrier. Let me ask you this, Amy. You used the phrase that if you don't get it, it it's effectively like a voluntary resignation. What, what did you mean by that?
1: If we are required to have the flu vaccine. If we chose not to, um, and we don't have any really good reason for it being some very strong religious um, conviction that has a backup for it, or we're you know there's some health reason, be it uh, allergic to the vaccine or something that contraindicates, we have been informed, and all new employees are informed that. Um, if you don't get the flu vaccine, basically, you are volunteering. You're volunteering.
0: going to be terminated. <laughs> exactly. 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 Now, let me ask you this. Amy, do the do, – I'm going to ask you to generalize. Most of the people you work with, do, do, do they have a problem with that? Are most people okay with that policy?
1: Um, yes. Um, they get the, We get the flu vaccine. They get the flu vaccine. It's offered to us um, free of charge through – the employee health um, and
4: right, yeah,
1: it just makes sense and, and, you know, nobody complains that they really have to get it.
0: Right. Well, no, because I, I think, you know, I mean, thanks for calling me, because I, I, I think most people in the medical field probably say okay this isn't it's not necessarily a 100% guarantee it's not something that we're we're sure is going to guarantee we we can't guarantee it's not going we're not going to get the flu but it makes it less likely now again i i don't take any position on this particular lawsuit and now, from what I understand, Ozaki County has changed its policies, and I do appreciate you have to have certain exceptions to this. But in general, do I think it is reasonable for an employer, especially in the healthcare field, to say, you know, you, you need to get the flu shot? I, I think I don't have a problem with that at all. All right. We've been talking about this. Well, for the last week and a half, Insight 2018 is coming up on March 28th. That is three weeks from tomorrow. Tickets are on sale now. Sales have been robust. I appreciate that. I have a pair of tickets to give away. Let's give them to caller number 13 at 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 13 wins a pair of tickets to Insight 2018 presented by my friends at Annex Wealth Management. It's 228. Two thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Giannis and the Bucks welcome a tough Western Conference foe to the Bradley Center. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause are on the call as James Harden and the Houston Rockets come to town tomorrow. You can hear it right here on WTMJ, starting at six forty. Gru, who's producing the show, I can't figure out the Bucks. I I just can't. Talented team, um, underperforming now, eighth place. They're probably really not in danger of missing the playoffs because they're. Like five games ahead of Detroit, it would it would take a monumental collapse for that to happen. But given, oh, you're destroyed. you're no, I see, I, I, you're you you do not I, I, they're they're still falling, right? I, I, exactly, and it's just for all the talent they have, they just can't put it together and i mean i actually watched a good chunk of that game against philadelphia the other night it was it was tremendous they played at a high level but then you know you you just have one clunker after another and it's just it's kind of frustrating i admit going into this year you thought that okay this was going to be a team that wasn't going to be figuring out are they going to be seventh or eighth but had a chance you know maybe to finish you know in the top two or three top Yeah, two or three, maybe not necessarily win the, the thing, but, um, been kind of a frustrating sort of team. But of course, you got the Bucks going on, got the Brewers. I am excited about this season. Let me tell you something, Groove. I actually even put my money where my mouth is today, called the Brewers, and, um, my, my best friend, we, we signed up for one of the 20 game season ticket packs, you know, because we went to a lot of games, and I, I get a press pass and stuff, but that's not like going to the games and sitting there and actually, be became a partial brewer's season ticket holder. Spent spent some of my own dough to, to do that. And looking forward to that, I think it's going to be a great year for the brewers. All right. Here is the story. Saturday afternoon, there is a, a West Allis man who is walking his one-year-old puppy. Um, puppy's name is Pepper. Um, so he, he's out taking Pepper for a walk. Suddenly, he sees these two pit bulls. And I should warn you about this, Gru. Whenever I talk about pit bulls, I end up getting hate mail from pit bull lovers all across the world. Not just the Milwaukee area, not just Wisconsin, the the world. He's at it again. Okay, so the guy is out walking his little puppy. What happens is these two pit bulls are running loose, and attack the puppy. Guy says he knew the dogs lived near him, but he never had any problems with them. He says all of a sudden, though, you know, he's walking and these dogs zero in on his dog and and attack. He says they start, you know, grabbing, you know, at the dog and they're, they're attacking him. He's trying to kick him and get him off his dog. He's not able to succeed in doing that. The man is a concealed carry permit holder. He says he tries to break up the attack. That is not working. So what he does is he, you know, runs back to his house and he ends up, you know, getting, you know, getting his gun. So he comes out. The dogs are apparently still gnawing on his dog. And what he does is he shoots and kills both of the dogs that were attacking his his pet. This happened about 4.30 in the afternoon last Saturday, about 59th and, and Burnham. The guy says, um, you know, these dogs attacked. He said, I'd seen them around before, but, you know, that they'd never done this before. But now, you know, they, they were loose. Um, his dog sustained head and shoulder injuries was taken to an animal hospital and is going to survive. The follow up is that, um, you know, the, the guy who owned the pit bulls said, it's very unfortunate. He had no feelings against the man who who shot him. Guy says, you know, I don't, the guy who shot the dog says, I don't, I don't think that there's any sort of bad blood. This is just what I think I had to do. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In this situation, you have a guy who's walking his dog. The dog is attacked by these two other dogs, pit bull type of dogs. I don't know if they're purebred pit bulls or whatever, who attack his little dog. His response is to go and get his gun and to shoot the two dogs. Was that a reasonable... Response, or did the man overreact to this situation? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now here you got a case where he didn't he apparently you know didn't call 911 in advance or at least he took the action before you know police arrived 4:30 in the afternoon you have a guy firing shots 59th and Burnham in West Dallas, 4:30 in the afternoon and he ends up killing these two dogs was that a reasonable reaction on his part 414-799-1620 that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line as a result two other dogs are dead. Do you fault the guy for doing what he did? Would you consider doing the same thing? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I will tell you where I come down on this in just a moment. What would you have done? 241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I guess the reason this story hits home is, candidly, this could be me. If you're a regular listener, you might have a little dog. I have a purebred Pomeranian. And I... I mean, candidly, there's a. I mean, she's a five and a half, six pound dog. You know, I, I, I'm trying to imagine two larger, vicious dogs running loose and attacking her, and I'm doing everything I possibly can to try pr- to try to protect her, which includes like trying to pick her up if she's being attacked. I got to tell you something, and there's a gun handy, and it's a choice between well, them killing or hurting my dog and those dogs being sent to dog heaven, I'm sending them off to dog heaven if I get the chance to do that. Here's the other thing. To me, the question really isn't, should the uh, guy that shot the dogs be, be charged? My question is, you know, what about the people that let the dogs run free? That's where I think the accountability needs. It's too bad these dogs ended up dead. Yeah. But, I mean, if if somebody negligently allowed these dogs to get loose, that's where I think there needs to be the accountability. The reason these dogs are dead is presumably they got loose from an owner and were running down an alley or whatever. That's on the owner of the dogs. Four one four 414-799-1620. Let's start with uh, Trish in Milwaukee. Trish, good afternoon hi how are you real well thank you trish
1: so i'm the same way you know i've got two dogs if they got out my responsibility everything that i've read was these two dogs were attacking this dog this third dog that wasn't even a year old yet right i I don't honestly think anything would have stopped these dogs aside from a weapon to kill the dogs and it's unfortunate that the dogs had to die but the owner was very negligent in letting them out or not having a secure enough fence. Those are dogs that need a very secure fence because they are, they're jumpers. They they can get loose. They're little Houdinis. They can get out, and right. unfortunately, that third dog was really injured.
0: Well, right, and see, and that's the that's the larger point that comes with this. I I'm. I I honestly don't understand why people would own certain types of breeds of dogs, but let's put that aside. I'm not in favor of banning breeds of dogs, but I do think if you're going to be a dog owner, and particularly if you are going to make the choice to own certain breeds of dogs, That, you know, when who have been known to act out violently or if they do act out violently, you know, there's going to be consequences. You have, I think, an added responsibility to make sure that those dogs, you know, don't get out and they're going to be kept under control. And, you know, how many of these stories do we have where it's this particular type of animal that gets loose or gets out from under the fence and it's a kid that's attacked? I mean, forget the dog. It's a person that's attacked. And that's that's what's
1: unacceptable. Exactly, I totally agree. Yeah, if that was my child, that that would not have ended well for the dogs in, in that situation either. Dogs are dogs, and they're animals by habit, so they're going to do things that are unpredictable, unfortunately. Well, well
0: right. No, thanks for the call. And again, then there's there's some types of dogs. Look, if if you've got you got a poodle, all right, and that that poodle gets loose all right, I mean, your biggest worry is the poodle's going to get hit by a car. You know, maybe the poodle bites somebody and, and then they're in, that person, you know, is in the emergency room getting a couple stitches. That That's one thing. If you have a, a large dog, or you've got the pit bull or whatever. And again, I don't mean to pick on pit bulls in this case, but you know, with those those massive jaws and the dogs, you know, attack for whatever reason, you're not talking about a, a trip to the emergency room for two stitches, you're talking about something much more significant than that, which is why, I mean, I would hope that we could all agree that if you're going to make the decision to be an animal owner, you know, you you have certain responsibilities. And look, I, I understand that there's always something where the dog can get loose or whatever, but if if you have one of these breeds of dogs that can cause a lot of havoc if they do get loose, you, you gotta you gotta make sure that doesn't happen. Gary in Merrill, Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Yes, hello. Uh, really enjoy the show. Thank you. Sir. I certainly agree that uh, the uh, the person had every right to shoot those dogs. Um, uh, it, it, instead of the uh, dog, it could have been a five six year old child. Yeah. It happens all the time. Uh, a couple times here in Wausau, they were going to uh, ban pit bulls from the city. Right, and uh, I. The argument is it could be any dog, but for some reason it's always pit bulls.
0: Well, or or it's it's always a couple breeds. Yeah, right. But, but right. A lot of times it's pit bulls or pit bull spinoffs. Or and again, I think part of that, Gary, is just because. Of the nature of the jaws and things like that, like I say, you know, the, the poodle bites you; it's 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 two stitches in the emergency room. The pit bull bites you, and you could be in the morgue, especially if it's a four or five year old kid.
2: And it happens.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it does. So thanks for calling. And, and that's the unfortunate thing about this. I mean, the I, I just the timing of this. Is, he obviously was very very close to his home. This happened apparently in the alley behind the house that he was able to run inside and, and grab the gun. It, it's. Look, there are reasons why we have laws that say this is 59th and Burnham. This is West Dallas. There are reasons why we have rules that say you just don't go go shooting guns, you know, in the, these urban areas. And in general, I support it. But I will tell you, I mean, just personalizing this. Yeah, I, I'm trying to imagine if, you know, my my dog was being attacked by these two larger dogs and was in a life-threatening situation. And I had access to a firearm and I felt comfortable using it. No question about it. That's what I'm going to do. Mary in West Allis. Mary, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon.
1: Hi. Hi, Mary. Um, I totally agree with your point of view. Um, I have been around pit bulls for many years and seen them get into fights to see some disastrous results. We did have a neighbor that had a pit bull that actually had two of them until they got into a fight with one another.
4: Yeah. And one
1: killed the other. Um uh. And those were two dogs living in the same household. Right. Um, The owner tried to break up the fight and ended up having severe lacerations to his face. Um, So they're a very dangerous breed at times. Right. I I realize not all of them are, but a huge percentage of them are. And the two dogs did attack. So it's not even a question of how dangerous they were. They, They went on the attack. They shouldn't have been out in the first place. And I think he had every right to defend his dog. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I guess I, like I say I take that that one step further. And it's an unfortunate situation from the owner of the the pit bulls or the pit bull type dogs because, you know, he's lost his dogs as a result of this. But I, I mean, if I'm if I'm the authorities, I'm asking these questions. How did those dogs get loose in the first place to put them in the situation? Because like I say, if you're going to be a dog owner, particularly a dog owner of certain types of breeds, I think, you know, you, you should be expected to be held to this higher standard. And some people might say that's adding insult to injuries. Dogs were, were killed and that should be enough penalty. Well, I don't know. I think if you're going to own certain types of animals in certain settings, um, there, there are certain standards that we should expect from you including that these dogs aren't going to get loose absolutely now thanks to call appreciate it and i understand that's a little bit harsh and uh i just it, it's one of these deals where uh, as, as a pet owner myself you're just kind of always obsessed with this stuff about, I mean, my first goal is making sure that I keep my dog alive. That's that, That's it. It's just like, okay, you know, what What can you do to keep her alive and things like that? And I'm just imagining the horrifying nature of the situation. I'm trying to imagine what this guy went through when, uh, again, his dog was attacked. Alright, I want to talk about baseball and Waukesha, but we don't have enough time to do it justice, so we will save that for tomorrow. I did want to give you an update um, on... Over the last couple of weeks I talked extensively about this this trial of the brown deer police officer who was on trial for shooting the guy who was resisting arrest on the bus and you know it was a two week trial. I said at the beginning of the trial that, in my opinion, based on my experience, there was no way, no no way at all that you would ever find twelve people under all the facts and circumstances that would convict this police officer beyond a reasonable doubt of of, of a crime and that turned out to be the case after a couple days of deliberation following the two week trial that the jury was hung. Um, unable to reach a verdict, the district attorney has not announced yet whether or not they're going to retry the case. And one of the things I said at the time was I didn't know what the split i t- to me for John Chisholm to retry this police officer would be a gross abuse of his authority, and a waste of taxpayer dollars, but it's not the first time that Chisholm has um, wasted taxpayer dollars in in flights of fancy or, in my opinion, politically motivated prosecutions. In this particular case, though, I said at the time I didn't know what the split of the jury was, you know, guilty or not guilty, because sometimes, you know, you, you, you have that. You have the one holdout or whatever, And maybe if there was 11 people that thought, you know, she was guilty, maybe that would be a justification. My sources tell me that the jury was split. It was 9 to 3 for acquittal. That's what my sources tell me, that the, again, 9 to 3, not guilty. Under those facts and circumstances, if John Chisholm were to retire, try to retry this police officer, it would border, in my opinion, it, it, it would be gross error in judgment and I, I think maybe not in a full legal sense malpractice, but a prosecutorial discretion malpractice to continue to throw good money after bad, trying to win a case that should not have, at least in my opinion, been brought in the first place. It's 2.55. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Stick around.